Morning. Um, as a pastor, you get a certain amount of time in a, in, a, in a service, and that's pretty valuable real estate. But I've been asked to make one announcement. There's another thing I want to share with you. Uh, don't worry, it won't extend the length of the sermon. Um, I've, I've, I've planned accordingly. But uh, one is that you, I think we've said to you that we've been live streaming. And uh, I will say in the first service this morning when we were live streaming, it did occur to me, you ever have one of those tickles in your nose that you, it's persistent? I mean, where you just want to go, you ever have, just me, all right. I had one of those during the whole first five or 10 minutes of the message. And it was like, do I, do I turn my mic off and turn around and really go at it? Or do I just let those 45 people that are watching us online and all of you go, what is wrong with that guy? Um, but. I want to let you know that we did, we've, we've had several comments the last few weeks via our website, um, people thanking us for providing this uh, live stream service. It's not just a sermon that someone can hear later today or later this week, but they can join us. Even though they're not connected, they're dislocated from us. Uh, one in particular, he knows who he is. I think it's this service that, uh, but he communicated that there's some anxiety, uh, struggles with some anxiety things in his life. There's some clinical things. Uh, and has had a real struggle with trying to find a way to worship corporately. Now, this isn't ideal, but he wrote us an email last week and thanked us for providing this service. He's local, just a great opportunity uh, to help at least, at least give him some sense of worship in his life. Uh, so you know who you are. Uh, I'm glad that's working. I hope that, I hope it continues and we'll be praying for the anxiety stuff to dissipate and for you to be healed from that so you can join us physically. There's also those that when you're on vacation or those that are, have been snowbirds, an opportunity for them to feel like they're, they're with us uh, through the whole worship experience. So that's number one. Number two, and this is one of those, uh, the, the, the hospitality team um, made up of pastors, elders, and deacons uh, have asked, they've been, they, we, we've talked about this for several months, uh, but they, they want me to, 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 to let you know what's going on. Bob Veldman uh, has been, he's been an elder in our church. He was on the hospitality team and he felt compelled by God to start, and I'm going to call it a ministry because that's what it is, a hospitality ministry with uh, parking and parking lot attendant, uh, but especially between the services, but helping people know where to park. And I know folks, it's when you come and you're like, I know, I know how to park my car. Just don't direct me. But Think about it. The reason for this is there have been break-ins in churches on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings in the parking lots. Things have been stolen. We're trying to make sure that there's some security. If someone were to fall or if someone were to, to come in and, and, and uh, leave their car on or if they fall in the parking lot, it's going to be an hour or hour plus before anyone even notices them. We want some people out there walking around uh, trying to direct traffic, especially coming up, on, coming up on Easter. This is the first, at least the first time since I've been at this church where Easter doesn't fall on one Sunday or the other of spring break. So we expect traffic and parking to be a big issue. We've changed service times to make sure that we can accommodate that as much as possible. But we would love for you to seek God. And I mean, ask God, might this be a place might this be a ministry that he wants me to participate in? Helping with hospitality, helping make sure that people that are newcomers know where to go. You can come in. If you come in door H, that you know there's a door H, means you've been around here a while. You know how to get from way over there to way over here. But others don't. So we're asking for some folks to, to contact Bob Veldman or contact the church office uh, and ask how you might serve in that way. 
The other thing we would ask is, if you've been around here a long time and you know your way around, when you show up on a Sunday morning, park inconveniently. You notice the staff parks all the way over on Felch, as far away as we can be. It's the longest walk, and especially after a message in the winter, it's just a long way to go back to your truck. But it's a way of saying that we're going to show preference to other people, especially those that are latecomers, newcomers, or have a difficult time walking in snow, walking in parking lots when it's wet, that kind of thing. So I've said it. Please, please seek God. Ask him if he, if you even have a little right now, if you have this little thing like, ah, I probably should, but it's just inconvenient. That's what hospitality is. It's inconvenient, it's messy, and sometimes it's dangerous. Um, let me offer a prayer. We'll get to uh, Mark chapter 12, and we're going to be at the beginning of it and near the end of it, and we'll talk about everything in between. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for technology. Um, we live in a world where we're so connected. We think we're connected, but we're very disconnected anyway, that there's very little face time with folks. But Lord, the, this opportunity, this possibility, this technology to live stream worship does give some shut-ins, travelers, and folks that just have a hard time being face-to-face and shoulder-to-shoulder with others. Lord, we ask that you bless this uh, live stream as it goes out, that you keep the glitches away, and, and that, uh, that you minister to people where they are. Lord, join us in this message. Uh, give me the words to say and, and the demeanor in which to say them. This is not my message for your people. It's your message for all of us. Lord, thank you for the, for the conviction in my own heart this week. Uh, I will do my best to communicate that accurately to your people. Join us. Be blessed by this. Holy Spirit, come. In the name of Jesus, we pray through the power of your spirit for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Now, we're a little out of order. Um, next week is Palm Sunday. Um, and Mark 11 is the triumphal entry, which is Palm Sunday. So just felt a little weird preaching about Palm Sunday the week before Palm Sunday. So we actually went, we're, we, we skipped chapter 11's going to next week and we're doing chapter 12 this week, but it gets a little confusing because things have already happened and then we're talking about them, but we're going to talk about those things that have already happened next week. Did I, am I talking fast enough? Is it going to be able to track with me? Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but Mark, Mark 12, um, Jesus starts off with poking at people and they don't know it right away. And then he ends up with, with what we call the greatest commandment. And in between are some things that, that I will communicate to you that we need to understand. It's the last week of Jesus' life. He is days away from being tortured and being, uh, being whipped 39 times and having the flesh torn off of his body and then hung up on a tree uh, and then killed. He's, he's, he's days away. And so you think if you're, if you're, if you, God forbid, if you find yourself in hospice care and you're coming near the end of your life and you have children or grandchildren, or if you have a spouse or a brother or a mom or a dad, and you, you have something you want to say and they, the family gathers and, and they go, what, is there anything you want to tell us? You think they might listen if they know it's the last thing you might say to them? And don't you think that you would think hard and long about what it is you want to say? Because it's probably going to matter. You're probably not going to go, you know, I like ice cream. That's probably not going to be one of your last words. You're going to say something powerful, say something meaningful. Jesus knows what's coming. He's been predicting it since the beginning of his ministry. He knows what is about to happen to him. And he knows he's got a week left to say things to people that matter. To make sure that they have solidified the truth 
of who he is and what he said because he's going to be done talking to him in the flesh. And he doesn't say, I like ice cream. He gives a parable. Remember, now remember, he stopped talking to the, to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. He stopped talking to them specifically. He started speaking to them in parables. And if they try, if they have ears to hear, if they're seeking God, then they might understand, but not always. And it goes like this. He then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. I just want you to be, understand what's going on. Remember, scripture means what it meant. Our job as, as pastors is to, it's called exegesis, big, big, big theological word, but it just means figure out what it meant to the original readers and hearers, and then translate that to us today. It's still supposed to mean what it meant, but we have a different context. So the, the, the truth has to stay the same. What these people, what, where they were in the context that they were in, these Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law, uh, they, they're hearing him tell this parable and they're like, oh yeah, landowner built a vineyard and he dug up a hole for the wine press and he put up a watchtower and built a fence around it and he rented it out. Oh, those Romans, he's finally going to come and say, he's coming down on the Romans. He's going to get them. He's going to cast them out because they see Israel has always seen themselves and the Old Testament will tell you that, that God sees them as a vineyard and that God has, has, has set them aside. He put the fence around it. He set them aside to be a people, a people of God. And that, that watchtower is to always be looking, always be seeing what God is doing and, and always be watching for danger to come because God is going to provide and God is going to protect. And the wine press idea, the fruit from the vineyard is, is to bless all of humanity. So they know when he talks about a vineyard, he's talking about them and he, they believe that he's coming. Man, he's going to give it to the Romans finally. And he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. And at harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized that servant. They seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. And they struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. Right about now, they're starting to get it. Because remember, John the baptizer, there are children in the room, so we won't talk about what happened specifically to his head. But John the baptizer had, had, had come as a prophet like Elijah, and he prepared the way of the Lord, and, and they handed him over. And yes, it was the government, but it was the Jews that they wanted him, they wanted him gone. And so when it says here that they, they beat him on the head, they struck him on the head, it's not, it's not grammatically clear that it's not talking about his head not being there. So they're starting, oh, he's talking about John the baptizer. He's not talking about Rome. He's talking about us. They're starting to get upset. And then it says, uh, he sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. And he had one left to send, a son whom he loved, his only son whom he loved. That idea, you, you know that reference. He sent him last of all saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. The inheritance will be ours. So they took him. They killed him. They threw him out. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He'll come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this. And it is marvelous in our eyes. 
Then they looked for a way to arrest him because he knew, they knew that he had spoken to the parable against them, but they were afraid of the crowd, so they left and went away. Those terrible Pharisees, Sadducees, and teachers of the law, it is really easy as Christians looking back with 2020 hindsight and say, look at what they did. They didn't get it. They don't understand it. Look. And we put ourselves in the story, if we do, we're the disciples or we're the listeners and going, yeah, man, I can't believe he picked a fight with them. But aren't we more likely to be the tenants? When Jesus gives this parable, yes, it's to the teachers of the law. Yes, it's to the religious elite. Yes, it's to the good religious people of the time. And we know, some of us know the story of the Old Testament that God would send judges and then he would send prophets. And, and what happened to many, if not most of them, is they weren't received by the people. They, were, they came to, 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 to remind the people that God had set up the watchtower. God had put up, the, he, through circumcision, he had created a people and he put up the fence around it so that they could bless everyone with the fruit of the vineyard that is Israel. All the world is supposed to be blessed. They know the story, but then God had over time when they started to drift and they stopped become, being the people that they're supposed to be, God would send them messengers. He would say, hey, this is what the Lord says. Stop doing this. Start doing this. You're not behaving the, like God is your God. You're his people. Behave like it. They're called prophets. And they were rejected. And they were beaten. Some were exiled. Some were killed. They know the story. You know the story. And then it says that God sent his son. Or the, the landowner sent his son. We know who his only son. His only begotten son. We know who that is. So if you read this parable and you think, woe to those Pharisees, you might be missing the point. And this isn't convicting unless it lands on you. It's not intended to be a shame on you type of thing. But I want to ask you the question, have you misused what God has entrusted to you? Because these tenants... They, they rent, and all they're supposed to do is to give back to the owner some of the fruit of the vineyard. They're supposed to remind themselves that this doesn't belong to us. We are stewards of this land, and we are to pay our homage. Is there an area or are there areas in your life where you're misusing what God has entrusted to you? Because if you are then that last line that we don't like, that this is the son, he's the heir, let's kill him. Then we get the inheritance. And I'm not just talking money, oh, he's gonna go to the money thing. But I'm gonna say this, that, that there's a time in, Mal, in, the, in one of the prophets, Malachi, he says, will you rob God? How would we rob God? By withholding from me. See, quite literally, if we're not faithful with what God has entrusted to us, we're taking for ourselves that which belongs to God. They did it, and we love to show that they did it. But do we, as a people of God, are we first concerned with God's glory and God's reputation and God's word going out in the mission field, or are we first concerned with what makes us comfortable? We reject Jesus without knowing we're rejecting Jesus. Sometimes. And he goes on, paying taxes to Caesar. They say, 
Should, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus says, whose who's picture's on the coin? Caesar's. Whose image is on the coin? Well, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. And we think, oh, okay, we're supposed to pay our taxes, and then we're supposed to pay our tithes. Nah. The image bearer of Caesar is his money. Who's the image bearer of God? Us. So if you're supposed to give to Caesar that which bears his image, we're supposed to give to God that which bears, that which bears his. What bears Christ's image? What bears the image of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Who is the image bearer of God? We are. And so it's interesting that he goes from, hey, folks, you've mismanaged that which, own, that which belongs to God, and you've, you've, you've pushed away his messengers, and then, well, who's going to taxes Caesar? You know what? God wants everything that you are, because if you bear his image, you belong to him. And then there's a question about marriage. Guys come up, and they're trying to test Jesus. Well, Moses says that if, you, if, if the brother doesn't have a son, and he dies, then his brother's supposed to marry his wife and provide a son for him. And then, and then there, one guy had seven brothers. They all married the same woman, and they died. Who's married to her in the resurrection? And Jesus kind of goes, Really? I encourage you to read what he says. But then it gets to this point in the passage. And it's easy for us to read these things and make them isolated incidents. But these all happen in succession. They all, these last couple of days, this probably happens in a couple of hours in the last week of Jesus' life. And he says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. That was the marriage thing. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer he asked him, of all of the commandments, which one is most important? Now, just so you know, the, the, Sadducee, or the, the teacher of the law in particular, but the Pharisees, Sadducees, teacher of the law, they had determined that the, 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 there's three greatest commandments. The Torah, just think Old Testament. I mean, there's more, but the Torah, the law, so that's one. The Torah, sacrificial temple worship, and the Shema. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Jesus quotes the Shema. And I'll do it in English from this point forward. But three things. The Torah. Word of God. Sacrificial temple worship. And the Shema. Which, one of, which is the greatest? They're testing him. And notice is the one he leaves out. He does talk about the word of God because he quotes it. He talks about the Shema because he quotes it, but he leaves out something else. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. That's Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as you love, love your neighbor as yourself. There are there is no greater commandment than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one and that and God, that God is one and there is no, but, no other but him. To love him with all of your heart, with all of your understanding, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. See, Jesus left out the sacrificial temple worship. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask any more questions. 
the religious elite had decided that three things matter more than anything else. The word of God, sacrificial temple worship, and loving God and your neighbor with everything you have. And when he was asked, Jesus, God, the one who all those sacrifices are meant to pay homage to and to, and to worship and to respect, he leaves that one out. Why? Because he's about to end that system by being the sacrifice, by being the temple sacrificial worship. He's going to become the sacrificial lamb. During the week of Holy Week, during the week of Passover, during lamb selection time, when they, when they kill the Passover lamb and they put the, they put the sins on it, and they send it out, or they kill it, and they take the, the, excuse me, they kill it, they take the blood from the sacrificial lamb, they put it on a goat, the scapegoat, and they send it out off the, uh, outside of the city gate so people see their sins going away. Jesus is going to become both the sacrificial lamb and the scapegoat. And right before this happens in his life, this is what he says. He says, love the Lord with everything you have, with your, with your heart, with your mind, with your soul, with your strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, I'm going to ask you, if this is one of the things that he wanted to tell us, if he says that this is the most important stuff you can hear, God is one, there is no other, love him with all of your heart, strength, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. How are we doing on that? Do you love the Lord your God with all of your mind? Okay, this is when he's going to tell us to read the Bible more. Yep. Jesus tells us that if you love me, you'll obey what I command. Do you know all of his commands? Well, we know one of them. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, strength, soul, and mind. Do you love the Lord your God with all your mind? Are there things that you fantasize about that you hope to God no one notices, including God? Are there vengeful thoughts, lustful thoughts? Are there things that, that, that you just kind of, oh, if only, if only, if only. Here's one. A Christian thinker talked about this year, a couple of years ago. Um, you ever, I'm not, don't raise your hand. You ever buy a lotto ticket? Just so you know, statistically speaking, you got just as good a chance of winning a lotto if you don't buy a ticket. One in 100 million and zero in 100 million is statistically insignificant. But somebody's got to win it. Yeah, I know the argument. If you're a follower of Christ, this is what this Christian thinker says, and I agree with him. If you're a follower of Christ and you're buying lotto tickets, you're not loving God with all of your mind. Because you're saying, I want for myself that which God is unwilling to entrust to me. Because if he wanted you to have that kind of riches, he would have put you in circumstances and offered you the opportunity to be faithful with what you have and more will be entrusted to you. But yeah, Lord, yeah, but, but, but Lord, trust me, I'll, I'll behave right. I'll give money away. I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. How's that? Have you won yet? It's possible. It's likely that all of us don't love God with all of our mind. What about your heart? Do you love the Lord your God with all of your heart? That's all your passions. That's intimacy. That's the love. And I got to tell you, this week, studying this passage and thinking through it, and after hearing Pastor Doug's message last week, that, that intimacy and how do you do it, I don't know, was his answer. It's a great sermon. 
But I got to tell you, soul, I think I got, that's my motivations. That's, that's the part that gets redeemed. That's the, that's the part that's going to last forever. I, and, and it was strength, man, I will, I'm willing to do whatever I got to do. I'll stay up late. I'll do what, you know, I'll do what I got to do. Mine, yes, I study the scriptures. I try to purge I, my thought life. I try to turn over to him. But heart, do I love the Lord my God with all of my heart? I've striven for it my whole life. But do I have the kind of love for God that I have for my wife? Do I have the kind of love for God that others have for God? Do I, do I have intimacy with Jesus? Do I love the Lord my God with all my heart? Probably not. And then he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Who's your neighbor? I'm at 3131 Crestbrook. Is my neighbor, how many, how, many, how many second parts of that number need to change for them to be my number or to be my neighbor? Is it across the street? Is it the whole neighborhood? Is it all, is it, is it a seven mile radio? Who's my neighbor? According to Jesus, everyone is, even your enemy. Because you're supposed to love your neighbor, right? And he says to love your enemy. So those who want harm to come to you, Jesus says, love them in return. Do not return evil with evil, but evil with kindness. Paul makes this even bigger when he says that do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. How are we doing? Are we representing who Christ is by how we live? Are we living our lives in such a way that other people could, could guess who our God is? This passage, this section, this, this part of scripture, this Mark chapter 12 starts off with, you haven't been faithful and you're going to kill the son. And then he says, God only wants everything. And then he gets distracted with the whole marriage question, who's, who's married in heaven. And then he says this, listen up, people of God. The Lord is God. The Lord is one. Love him with everything you have. Everything. Don't leave any of it out. And love others as you love you. We're a week and a half away from the first time that Jesus said, this is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. And we're going to celebrate this sacrament in just a moment. But here's my ask, my preparation, my challenge for you. It's pretty simple. If there's a spot in your life or spots where you have not been faithful, ask God to search your heart to show you and confess it. If you don't love him, if there's a part of you that doesn't love the Lord the way you should, the way you believe he wants you to, ask God to show you, confess it. And your act of repentance can be, that's just, to repent means just turn around, go back to where you're coming from. The act of repentance can be taking the bread and drinking the juice. So you're saying to the Lord, you're the Lord, you are one, and I will do, as far as it depends on me, I will love you with everything that I have, and I'm gonna treat other people the way I would have them treat me, and the way you treat me. Because as a Christian, that is our call. It's not a suggestion. It's one of the last things that Jesus tells us. So here's how we're gonna go about it. I'm gonna say a prayer. At the end of the prayer, I'm not going to say amen. And that's kind of like, dun, da, 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 dun. 
Dun, dun. I'm not going to say amen. I'm just going to be quiet for a while. I'm going to walk over there and get ready to do the words of institution. And during that quiet time, the elders, those serving communion, you can come on forward to the, to the front chairs and, and just sit down. And then when we get to the words of institution, there's the things that Jesus said before he, as he instituted this sacrament. I'm hoping that by then, you will have been convicted if you need convicted. You'll be encouraged if you need encouragement. And you will have confessed if you need to confess. To confess is just to tell God what he already knows. If he pokes at you, if he reveals something to you, tell him about it. And then when the cup comes by, the, the bread comes by and the cup comes by, if you take and eat, you're taking and eating grace. But if there's someone you're still, or there's a part of you that you're not going to give to God, I'm just going to ask you to take a pass. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, that if you eat and drink the cup in an unworthy manner, that, that holding it over someone else, it's judgment. And I don't want to be responsible for you eating or drinking judgment on yourself. Let's pray. It'll be awkward. Be quiet. Then you'll hear other words. Lord, thank you for the parable of the tenants, although I don't like it. Thank you for the illustration that kings get what they have coming to them, and, but you're the, you're the king, Lord, and we are what's coming to you. Lord, thank you for the humility that you call us to. Loving you with everything we have. Loving others as we love ourselves. It has nothing to do with how we might gain. It has everything to do with the glory you might receive. So Lord, as we're quiet for a moment, I ask that you search our hearts. Not just theirs, but mine. Show me that which I need to confess. And then as I take the, the, the bread and the cup, that will be my act of repentance. And Lord, we ask that you absolve us from all unrighteousness. Um, would you stand and receive God's good word? <clears throat> Isaiah 44, 22 says, Gone are your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Now, we're just coming out of winter where there is nothing but clouds. It's always gray, but if you notice this last, last week, there was a, a, a day of frost, and by 11 o'clock, if there was sun, that frost was gone, and you notice that if you walk out there, you're going to see sun. The clouds go away when the sun burns them off. The clouds go away when the sun burns them off. Your sins are gone. They've been burned away because the sun burnt them off. You have been redeemed you have been renewed, you have been restored, and you've received a means of grace. So go, serve, and the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord, turn his countenance for you. That's a look on God's face. God, God, smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.